In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. How an explosion of new voters could change Georgia's electorate. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia! It's been a long week. We just left a, uh, a staff meeting, so I got to see you plenty this week, but how's everything going? Things are going, Greg. Things are going. I was just at Starbucks filing my column. We're doing a podcast. I'm kind of proud of myself for making it to that meeting because I wasn't sure I would. So, you know, I, I, we're checking the boxes. We're keeping our heads above water. <laughs> I guess that's we the best we our- can do. It's going great. <laughs> and it's only going to get busier. I just, um, I was, I'm shocked I'm not in my car right now because I just went out with some campaign volunteers to a neighborhood in East Cobb and to kind of take some notes and talk to them as they're going out doing ground game work for future stories. Well, coming up later, we're going to talk about the latest in the debate saga. But first, we have a special guest here, AJC State House reporter Mark Nisi, who's beat when the legislature's not in session, and really even when it is, is covering voting rights, electoral issues, the Secretary of State's office and really the changing demographics of Georgia. And Mark, you had a fantastic story in the Sunday edition of the AJC and online, of course, about how this explosion of new voters is impacting Georgia's electorate. Yeah, thanks, Greg. So we all know Georgia is a growing state. We're always getting new residents and new voters all the time. And that's part of the reason Georgia is so competitive is we have new residents and new people and they're tend to be younger and more diverse and live in metro areas, especially in the metro Atlanta area. And that's part of the reason that we are in Battleground Georgia, the center of the universe, and all those things that we say over and over again. It's because we're such a competitive state and because our voters are always changing. People want to be in Georgia and it's pretty evenly split between the two political parties, as we've seen in the last couple of elections. So, Mark, I'm so interested to talk about the story you did about the 1.6 million new voters, specifically because Georgia's motor voter law means that most new residents, if you apply for a driver's license, you are automatically registered to vote unless you uncheck a box. And there was a hiccup with that process this year. But for the most part, these are not new registrants who went out and sought an application and registered themselves to vote because they are so engaged, but they are just sort of automatically registered to vote. So 
what do we know about these new voters and what do campaigns know about them? I think that's what I want to know. It's really interesting to see the two categories, right? Because you always have people who are turning 18 and going to driver's license offices at some time, some point between age 18 and say 24, and they get registered to vote for the first time. So you always do see that most new voters are younger voters. But then the other category is new Georgia residents, people who have moved to Georgia from other states. And that's a lot of people too, because there are a lot of business opportunities here. People want to live in Georgia. And so those are the two biggest drivers of the increase, new residents and young voters who just are now eligible to vote. And what we know about new voters is they're less likely to vote than existing voters. So while this is a fertile field of people who could potentially swing an election, there are also some of the people that need the most motivation and outreach from the political campaigns to get them to turn out. When campaigns say it all comes down to turnout, that is the truth, right? What we're looking at here is just who are the voters, who are the people who are now registered, which gives us part of the picture, right? But ultimately, generally, in general elections, we get somewhere in the neighborhood of 60, maybe a little bit higher, 60-something percent of registered voters out to the polls. So that's a lot of people who don't show up unless they feel like they have a good reason to. And that's where the campaigns come in. And that's where you see so much advertising and so much campaign funding trying to reach these voters, trying to get them out. Because most people, regular voters, were a known quality. It's the new voters that could make a difference. Mark, we've seen a lot of coverage nationally, particularly of, of a surge of new women voters, especially after the Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe versus Wade. But it's a little harder to track that here in Georgia, right? That's right. Um, part of the reason it's harder to track is that so many people are registered in Georgia already that there's not much room for a new surge, right? Um, but I did look at some of these numbers. Women are slightly outpacing men since the Dobbs decision that allowed states to regulate abortion. Um, it's about 51% women registrants um, since then, which is actually less than the overall electorate. So while more women than men are registering, it's not quite at the overall rate of voters in Georgia. So we can't really tell a whole lot about that, whether women are registering to vote more than they were before or not. But we can tell that they're a little bit more than men. Um, another way to look at it is turnout. And what we see consistently over the last four years is women turn out more than men. So we do see um, back, I look back to today, look back to the 2018 primary, 55% women. Um, and it stayed at least that high in the 2018 general. The 2020 primary got all the way up to 57% of voters were women. And then in the 20 and 22, 20 election, it was 55% women. And again, in the 22 primary. So that seems pretty consistent. Women are voting more than men. And if campaigns can reach them and motivate them to turn out, then that could be a difference maker. Yes, I think when you and I were slacking earlier, I said that you and Greg need to get used to the idea that eventually women are going to run this joint, like with 55% of women voting, eventually, eventually this will happen. Um, we So we also don't know people's politics because 
Georgians do not register to vote by party. But do we know anything about the demographics or where people have moved in from? Is that anything that you've been able to tell from the data? Now, it's very difficult to tell where people move from because Georgia's voter list only covers Georgia. So we can't really see where they came from. We just can see that they are here now. Um, I did do some look at um, people's voting history. You know, while you don't register by primary, when you vote in a pro- in a primary, you pick either a Republican or a Democratic ballot. So you can get some clues, but it's so far from conclusive and turnout in primaries is lower than general elections, especially among new voters. It's really hard to tell um, which political party is going to benefit more from these new voters. And that's when it comes down to the importance of campaign messages and outreach. That That is where this election season matters. That's why you see this never-ending stream of ads on TV. So as you can hear, Mark knows his stuff. I like to call him the premier voting rights expert in the South in journalism, but that probably short sells him. He might be in the nation. Um, And we're here also to announce a new really cool feature. Mark will be answering your questions about your, your voting issues, because I know I get emails, he gets emails, Patricia gets emails all the time from our viewers and listeners and readers who are having um, election related issues. Well, Mark is so great. He always answers them. And sometimes he answers really long emails. And we're, we're looking for Mark to do even more of that. Mark will be answering your questions about your ballots over at mark.nice at AJC.com. That's M-A-R-K dot N-I-E-S-S-E at AJC.com. And Mark, uh, tell, tell our listeners about a little bit about what t- sorts of questions you'll be fielding. Sure. Any kind of questions about voting and the voting process. Um, We also have an article on our website if you want to fill out a form and fill out your question or just email me. And we haven't figured out exactly how we will answer these questions. It might be on this podcast. It might be in a video presentation. It might be in articles. Um, We'll figure it out. But for now, we're just getting feedback. And I do get questions all the time. People want to know about what are the new rules for absentee voting? Where are drop boxes allowed? What are the rules under Georgia's new voting law? I get a lot of questions, especially at this point in the year, from older residents who check that box during the primary to automatically receive an absentee ballot for the general election. A lot of them are concerned and asking, do I need to reapply for an absentee ballot? And the answer is usually no. Um, And I am happy. If you email me, I'm happy to check the status of your absentee application or the status of your voter registration or your voter history to see if your vote counted in the past. I really enjoy doing that and um, working for voters and AJC subscribers who do have questions that I can answer because I have a lot of resources at my disposal. Okay, this is why I call Mark Nisi a national treasure, and I'm yeah. not even kidding. Yeah. And now Mark Nisi is going to be the Dear Abby of voting. <laughs> <laughs> that might be what we call it's it, It's going to be Dear Mark. Dear, dear Mark. Mark, where do I go and what do I do? Well, I really like helping voters because, you know, so much of the questions that voters have are about how the process works. And that might not be a news story all the time. But, you know, I want to help people and I want to um, be able voters to be able to exercise their right to vote even when they have questions or concerns. And we kind of expect more questions than ever with the election rewrite taking effect in its first major election and 
was just with redistricting people, people, including people who are very close to this, this business, aren't really sure who their state reps are <laughs> anymore after the lines were redrawn. So we'll, you'll, you'll, I think you'll be very busy, Mark. I look forward to it. It's a fun time of year. Well, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Next up, you know, Patricia, we got to host an AJC live event. It was really our first major in-person AJC event in a long time. Um, it was called the state of our state. It was really a blast. We had more than 500 people there. We had big time names like former Senator White Fowler, all sorts of state lawmakers. Dean Calvin Smyre was there. And of course, so many of our listeners and readers is really great getting to see everyone in person. Um, we got to showcase our unapologetically ATL podcast. We got to showcase our sports reporters, education team. And you and I got to interview former Governor Roy Barnes and Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan. It was it was so much fun. It was amazing. First of all, I loved seeing readers who were just so generous and uh, not just readers, but listeners to this podcast. And I have to tell you, my takeaway from talking to so many people there was that I might talk too much about my laundry on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Because multiple people came up and said, oh, how's your laundry going? So I'm like, okay, I clearly need another hobby. And I also even had a listener to this podcast and he was at the event and he said, I've got something for you. And so this gentleman hands me a box of safety pins, say that, (laughs) so that I can safety pin or have my kids safety pin their socks together. He said, you will never have to match socks again. He said his wife came up with this life hack like 30 years ago and it kind of changed her life. I'm like, have I never thought about this? And how is the only way this is coming to me? Because I have moaned about laundry on a podcast for six (laughs) months in a row. (laughs) So I got so much out of that event and that evening and not just uh, laundry tips. Um, Also, the politics were so good. And our two guests, um, Jeff Duncan and Roy Barnes, you know, we needed people who were not on a ballot in November, Mm -hmm. frankly, because we didn't want to have to deal with equal time and other campaigns complaining, et cetera, et cetera. And we also wanted people who were going to be really frank and open about the state of our state. And I think that that's exactly what we got with those two men. Boy, were they. And we also made a little bit of news. Let's listen. And Lieutenant Governor, since you yielded the balance of your time, I'm going to ask you a double up question. This is about November. Um, Burt Jones, state senator, uh, is the Republican nominee. Um, those of us who watch the Capitol closely, Maya can tell you, um, you might not be BFFs with Burt Jones. Um, he's also the Republican nominee for Lieutenant Governor. Do you support his bid for Lieutenant Governor? And, and what advice do you have for him if he were to win that position? Um, well, he's not asked for my endorsement, so I, that's, I think, a, an important component. And, and secondly, I don't believe the election was rigged, and he does. And I just have a hard time, me and my family, if, with all that we've gone through, uh, to put our stamp of credibility uh, on, on a campaign. Like that. When, when your family receives death threats, when you receive mountains and mountains and mountains of negative attention because somebody wants to lie about the outcome of an election, I have a problem with that. So, Patricia, a little bit of context there um, for those who weren't following the 2020 aftermath as closely as we were. But Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan was among the few outspoken Republicans who were saying that Donald Trump lost and that the Republican Party 
should move on. And he got he got all sorts of threats from that. He was attacked personally by the former president. His family members were criticized and ridiculed. He had to have security. Um, he went through a lot. And Burt Jones was a member of the fake GOP elector slate. I've never heard Burt Jones say the election was rigged or stolen, but he signed on. He endorsed that Texas lawsuit that sought to invalidate Georgia's election results. And it's a major part of Burt Jones's bid for lieutenant governor. He got Trump's endorsement early on and helped him beat Butch Miller, his Republican rival. And Charlie Bailey, his Democratic opponent, has made that sort of the centerpiece of his campaign, saying that his opponent, Burt Jones, is unpatriotic. Yes. I mean, that has become really the issue in this lieutenant governor's race. And it is such an unusual turn of events, just generically, if you step away from where we are in 2022, never has election uh, security, election integrity, you know, call it what you want. That is not typically an issue that's deciding people's minds on a lieutenant governor's ballot. But that certainly is going to be the case here. And it really is going to come down to, I think, people who are mostly partisans, um, but then a few people who do want to make this election about the last election. And Burt Jones has, you're exactly right. I've never heard him say the election was stolen. You know, that is more of a Marjorie Taylor Greene approach to the 2020 election. I have heard him repeatedly say as questions were coming up and as uh, Donald Trump was pushing all of his lies about the election in 2020, Burt Jones said, well, I I also have a lot of questions. I I also don't quite understand what happened. I also want to know what was going on in Fulton County. So he's raised a lot of questions, um, but has never gone as far as advocating flipping the election. But to your point, he was a fake elector. I mean, those fake electors are not facing criminal prosecution because we don't know exactly how all of that came together. But there have been a lot of thoughts that it was coordinated, coordinated by the Trump campaign. Um, but anyway, to get <laughs> to take a step back from that conversation. So Jeff Duncan said, listen, I have a problem with that. And I'm not going to endorse Burt Jones as a result of that. I mean, the great irony, and you asked Jeff Duncan this question as well, is that the people who did stand up for the election and then ran anyway, and we're going to put Governor Brian Kemp on that list, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger on on that list, the two of them, along with Jeff Duncan, just got unholy fire from Donald Trump. But two of the three ran for election, and it felt like Jeff Duncan in the moment was not running for election as all of this turmoil was unfolding. It seemed like he was going to have a really hard time getting reelected in a GOP primary. It seemed like he was not going to have a path to get reelected. And so after just one term, this young, very uh, sort of kind of leadership-oriented person, Jeff Duncan, who clearly doesn't seem like he's leaving politics, but he did decide after that election and after Donald Trump just came after him over and over and Trump supporters came after him over and over, that's why he left office. And so now for Burt Jones to come in to that void, you can see the ongoing clash going on between those two gentlemen. And we got a real view of that on stage. Yeah. And he would say it's not the the main reason he left office. You know, we talked about a little bit on that event, but essentially he says, hey, he he did what he wanted to as lieutenant governor, but clearly he would have faced a big challenge from within his own party. And as our colleague Maya Prabhu reported in a deeper story in this, um, these two men, as I mentioned the question, they're certainly not BFFs. They have a long and icy history to the point where this past session, when Jeff Duncan took the mic, uh, when he took the well, when he was speaking 
it seemed like Burt Jones was doing anything but paying attention to him. Oftentimes he was kind of milling about the back of the room or he'd go to an ante room. There is no love lost between these two Republicans. And shortly after Burt Jones took his stand and allied himself with other Republicans who were questioning the election results, Jeff Duncan was part of the uh, majority group in the Republican state Senate who stripped Burt Jones and other committee chairmen of their positions. Yes. So there was not just a clash and a disagreement, but really retribution and consequences. And so you really get the sense that this is a relationship that will not mend. That's very obvious. Although these are two relatively young men in the Republican Party. And so you kind of feel like they're going to keep crossing paths as the years go on. And some of these um, higher offices open up and uh, other people put themselves forward for for roles like governor, senator, you could easily envision these two still continuing to be rivals, even though Jeff Duncan is taking a, you know, taking himself off the stage for now. Did we see a preview of the 2026 gubernatorial race? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> this is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of Black people. It's a product of Black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders at the AJC. We're two of the three authors, along with our colleague and Washington correspondent, Tia Mitchell, of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, for a limited time, you can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for less than a dollar, just 99 cents. That's politics, investigations, breaking news, UGA football, sports, the Braves playoff run, dining, all of our newsletters, including the Jolt, for less than a buck. It's our best offer for the best journalism in Atlanta. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for just 99 cents for the next six months. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. And Patricia, we've had such a busy jolt regimen this week. It seems like even some of our, we, we like to call them secondary items, even they could have very easily been lead items because it's been so busy. Yeah, it's definitely that time of year where the lead item is actually really hard to choose because the top two or three or four are all things that could really stand alone on their own. But then also we want we don't want to save all of those for breakaway items. We want them in the jolt so people get them first thing in the morning. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's one of my jobs first thing in the morning is just deciding what's going to be the lead. What are people most going to want to read? And then, you know, just go from there. And uh, that job gets harder and harder as we get to election day. 
When you say first thing in the morning, you're not kidding because you really mean like 4 a.m. <laughs> I'll wake up and I'll have 412 4, 4, 4 a.m. email uh, Slack messages from you about about certain things that I might have screwed up on. But the message is like, hey, only when you're awake or nobody panic. It's just when you happen to have a chance, you, you know, but it's like, but also before 6 a.m. Thanks. Bye. Yeah. And by the time I respond, she's already like on her third cup of coffee. <laughs> Having already run five miles. <laughs> I try not to do more than two cups or else I feel like, I feel like that's a slippery slope. I feel like it's, that's not healthy. I had two today because I had a couple of coffee meetings in the morning. And when I got to our staff meeting, I could not sit still. I was fidgety and my shaky and all that stuff. So I can't do more than one. That's my, that's my lesson. Well, Patricia, you also got to interview Governor Roy Barnes, former Governor Roy Barnes, at this AJC Live event, and he had a lot of illuminating answers. He he was certainly um, unafraid to speak frankly about the state of politics, but this is one of our favorites. Each side believes this is an existential moment for the state and for the country. What advice do you give Democrats? Well, <clears throat> I don't know if they should take advice from somebody that got whipped. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know... Lessons learned, we'll call them. Lesson, le- don't change the flag right away. <laughs> Patricia, that tells you a lot about where he is, his mindset. He, uh, he, It's been far enough from his defeat way back in 2002 and his defeat for his comeback in 2010 that he can now laugh about it. Yes. Well, and also that he can be honest about it. I mean, listen, that is not an answer that we would have gotten from Roy Burns probably in the aftermath of that 2002 election that he lost to Sonny Perdue. But now with some distance, um, he's he's distant from his electoral days, but he's still quite involved in politics. So he had a lot of really detailed answers. He's, it's clear he's given a lot of thought to what could be done policy-wise from, I mean, and we heard about it. All, mm-hmm. <laughs> we heard a lot of it. Um, transportation, education, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he also, you know, gave a lot of one-liners, which is very classic Roy Barnes. He said that it seems like both sides have taken crazy pills, which I don't disagree with. Um, and he talked a lot about really how hard it is to watch this really I- incredible level of polarization. And he said that he and the late Senator Johnny Isaacson had a conversation, you know, right before he and Isaacson passed away uh, just about this issue. Let's listen to that. He said, I was sitting here the other night thinking about this. And he says, do you realize that if you we were starting off today in politics and nobody knew us like they didn't back then that the party that nominated each of us and elected us would not nominate either one of us he says the republicans think i'm too liberal and the democrats think you're too conservative and i thought about that and I particularly thought about it at his funeral when I was thinking, when I was sitting there. And he's right. And that's what's wrong with the country. Uh, and it's what's wrong with the problems that we have in the state. A very telling of his view of where, where we are in Georgia and nationally. Yeah. Hearing him, it is so helpful to hear leaders who have 
the experience of being elected and being in office without the pressure of getting reelected, and also the distance to really have developed some perspective on what just happened. And so I think he really continues to be a valuable voice. He's somebody who a number of Democratic leaders continue to go to for advice, and you can really see why. And also somebody like Jeff Duncan is another one who mm-hmm. has been elected, dealt with kind of the slings and arrows. And while Roy Barnes said, you know, I, I don't get nervous reading the paper anymore because I don't have to worry about what anybody's saying about me, all the mean things. Jeff Duncan had a very quick answer. He said, well, I still have to worry about people say he about does. me. That's not over yet. Yeah, yeah he, he definitely does. Former Governor Barnes also had some very blunt thoughts about Republican Senate nominee Herschel Walker. Huey Long had this. Huey Long was a great political, you know, manipulator and master of Louisiana, he had something that he always says, says, never speak when you can whisper. Says, never whisper when you can wink. (laughs) They should have told Herschel Walker that a long time ago. You know, don't speak. Don't speak is his advice for Herschel Walker. And really, he's, look, there are Republicans who are trying to give him that advice, too, saying, hey, the less is more right now on the campaign trail. He's had so many blunders, some gaffes, uh, falsehoods, lies, misstatements, all sorts of things where, you know, this was looked at as a, um, a winnable race and still is for Republicans, frankly. But Herschel Walker sometimes has dig- dug himself into into really tough situations. And uh, I don't think Roy Barnes is alone There are certainly many Republicans who I've quoted and I've talked to privately, too, who say, hey, the less he talks, the better chance he has in November. Yes. Well, you know, even when Herschel Walker is talking, he doesn't say a lot on policy. You know, we I really continue to try to wade through some of his answers about policy and you can never quite understand exactly where he's going with that. Um, But I do want to put a kind of a, a a parentheses in here. Herschel Walker speaking on camera, answering questions from reporters, that often does not go well. However, Herschel Walker in front of these crowds that he's getting, they love him. There are very few people in the crowd scratching their heads and being like, what did he say about that? You know, they don't care. They don't care. They want to be with Herschel Walker. They want to get in line to have their autograph from Herschel Walker and their picture with Herschel Walker. There is a group of just devoted Republicans out there ready to vote for Herschel Walker. And so while he makes these gaps, we do hear from people who say, how is, how is this race so close? I mean, this race is close because this is a very divided state, but then also because Republican voters, many Republican voters are evaluating Herschel Walker with a different barometer than your typical candidate. This is somebody who they already know, somebody they feel like they already like, and somebody that they are going to vote for. So as much as the media kind of scratch our heads and uh, national media in particular will write stories about what he says and, oh, what a disaster, you know, that's not the way it feels at this Herschel Walker events that we go to. Yeah, they're not there to see him connect with crowds. And you had this telling passage from a recent column where, I'm trying to paraphrase, but where essentially Herschel Walker looked around the room and said, you are my family. And I'm here to protect you. And yeah. that went over very well. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. And listen, for people sitting there to see Herschel Walker, who is one of the most famous Georgians 
alive. I mean, he really is so well known in this state. For him to say that to this group of people who have come out from, you know, the job they just worked, or they are women who are staying home with their children, and then they come out and Herschel Walker says to them in the crowd, you're my family, and I'll protect you. I mean, that is working with these crowds. You know, he needs to spread his message, I think, add some details and spread it to people besides the true believers. But right now, he's got some real true believers out there. Well, I have a feeling we'll be getting some Herschel Walker and Senate-related questions for our favorite segment, the listener mailbag. You can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime, day or night, 24-7, because Shaney B. will be staffing it with a dedicated core of interns. Thank you, Shaney B. And thank you, interns. You bet. We got the coffee brewing <laughs> right now for another batch of calls for next week as well. And they can drink more than a cup of coffee, unlike me or Patricia. So leave a question. We will play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. Eventually, when we get enough, we'll even do separate episodes just for listener mailbags. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Of course, you can tweet us or email us or find other ways to contact us with your questions as well. And Shaney B, I think we've got one from Rich. Rich uh, Eldridge, an old friend. Yeah. Huh. He has a question about the Atlanta Press Club debate Ooh. coming up in November. First, uh, Greg and Patricia, thank you for all of the long hours and hard work you put in to keep us up to date on this ever-evolving election cycle. Here's my question. The Atlanta Press Club has announced Sunday, October 16th at 7 p.m. for the U.S. Senate debate. We've all heard the back and forth between Warnock and Walker. Uh, break it down for us. Uh, what is the likelihood we'll see both candidates standing at the podium on October 16th? Why or why not? What's the net gains and possible losses for each candidate? Oh, Rich, what a great question, because no one likes covering the debate over the debates <laughs> more than us. I'm saying that somewhat <laughs> facetiously because it is tedious to cover all the back and forth. But there's been a major update. A few days ago, we broke the story that Senator Raphael Warnock has accepted or at least confirmed that he would participate in an October 14th debate with Herschel Walker down in Savannah if Herschel Walker agreed to its few conditions. One is if he agreed not to know the topics beforehand, something that he quickly agreed to. But the second one's still up in the air. And that is if he also agreed to participate either in this Atlanta Press Club debate later on in October, or a debate down in Macon that would be hosted by Mercer University. And as of this taping, Herschel Walker has not yet accepted that second condition. But we are overall, Patricia, we are inching closer towards a prospective debate. And there's many different trade-offs for these candidates. First of all, you know, of course, there's a good reason why Raphael Warnock wants to be on the debate stage. He wants, his entire campaign is sort of centered right now around the idea that Herschel Walker is unfit to be a U.S. senator, that he lacks the gravitas, the, the credibility to be a U.S. senator and the policy chops to be a U.S. senator. So he wants to get on the debate stage next to him and expose that. But for Herschel Walker, the expectations are so low right now that even a mediocre performance, even just a good few one-liners, that he can go back to promote to his supporters and to other Republicans and play on Fox News and the like, could do him a solid as well. And for both these candidates, the race is so close. So they're looking at ways they can break through 
to voters who aren't necessarily watching all the back and forth, to the average voters who aren't quite yet tuned in. And this debate could be one way to do that. Yes. Um, and about those low expectations, just even despite the low expectations, the prospect of a live debate against a sitting U.S. senator presents still a lot of risks for Herschel Walker. First of all, he's never done this before. He never debated his other GOP rivals. He was the only major candidate in May in any of the primary contests. Mm -hmm. I mean, from from U.S. House, Senate, governors, he was, Herschel Walker was the only one who didn't debate. So he has never done this before. So the stakes for him are so high because he has not gotten the kinks out. He has not practiced against a real opponent. He's not been there under the glare of the headlights, and he's not had to deal with these issues in detail. Raphael Warnock basically lives, eats, breathes, takes a two-mile swim in these issues every single day as a senator. And he's very policy-minded. He's been in the weeds of policy since way before he was in the Senate, including when he was, uh, and still is actually, lead pastor at Ebenezer. So a debate is Raphael Warnock's home turf. That's his home stadium, if you want to put it that way. However, I think the other risk for Herschel Walker is that not debating Voters are starting to punish people who don't do debates either. I think a big turning point for John Ossoff was when he sat there and debated an empty podium of David Perdue, who didn't show up to a debate against Ossoff, and he looked like he couldn't handle it. I mean, that's yeah. basically what it look like, looks like. So I think that there are major, major risks either way for the Walker campaign. You know, and then the downside for Warnock is if they keep pushing this, like, I'll do this if you do that you lose the concept that it was Warnock who accepted the debates and and Walker who was running from them. So I think they, these men need to engage and voters need to see them on a debate stage. Yeah, and that's a very important point to make because the timeline can get very confusing, especially for those who aren't following it as closely. And it's our job to follow it very closely. But it, it was Herschel Walker who refused to debate during the primaries, but said over and over again, I'll debate Raphael Warnock anytime, anyplace, you name it. Then after he wins the Republican nomination, he still would say, I'll debate him, I'm ready to debate him, but he wouldn't confirm any specific debates. Meanwhile, Senator Warnock says, I'll do these three debates. I'll do one down in Savannah, I'll do one in Macon for Mercer, and I'll do the Atlanta Press Club debate. And then out of the blue, after not answering for weeks, Herschel Walker says, I won't do any of those three, but I'll do a fourth that's also in Savannah, <laughs> and I'll do it because it's in front of a live audience and I'll do it because it's on a night where he, he was concerned that one of the nights was on a Sunday night. And I'll do it because this is not going to compete with NFL football. And all Ugh. along, kind of Warnock's, Warnock and his staff were kind of scratching their head. Like, why won't you do any of these other three? And you're just going to throw out a fourth one. And uh, I always thought at that point, okay, it's about how much Raphael Warnock, is he willing to sort of bite the bullet and say, okay, yeah. to this fourth one? He is, but as long as there's also another one. So that's where we are today. We haven't been able to get at at this moment, we haven't been able to get Herschel Walker to say whether he'd do any of these other two debates. But clearly, the public wants it. Uh, we as journalists would love to hear them kind of go over some more of their policies. But even if Herschel Walker doesn't show up, there will still be an Atlanta Press Club debate featuring Raphael Warnock, featuring the Libertarian candidate, and featuring an empty podium. Yes. Um, and, you know, while all of this is going on, and it's true that Warnock has been the one to say, I'll do these three debates. Yes, I will. Come on over. Walker picked the fourth one, obviously, because that was the one that <laughs> Warnock had not accepted. In addition to a live audience, they also had agreed to give 
the candidates' topics in advance. And now in the meantime, Walker has been putting all of these messages on social media, like, put on your big boy pants, Raphael Warnock. Show us you can do it. Don't be afraid. And so it's it's just taken on this really weird back and forth that's gotten really ridiculous, to be frank with you. They just need to debate. Yes, um, I agree with the tedium of it. I also agree that, that Herschel Walker has done a lot to try to avoid the debates, and we'll see if they'll just both come to some sort of accord so we can see them on stage together. Shaney B., I think we have an, a second question. One more question. This is from Sam in Atlanta. Question about political polls. Hi, Greg and Patricia. I was calling to see how do you know if a political poll is a good poll or a bad poll? Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to know whether or not it's a, something that's reputable or if, if it's something that you know, hey, this is a junk poll. That is a great question, Sam. And this is a question, frankly, I ask myself all the time because we get sent poll results all the time. I will tell you that we believe the AJC poll, and I'm not just, it's not just a commercial, we believe the AJC poll is really the very best poll around. It is has very rigorous uh, standards. We It has a very large sample size. It's done by professional pollsters at the University of Georgia. So the AJ, go to the AJC poll first. However, there's a lot of polling going on in the state, but a lot of that is because it's a battleground state and groups all around the country know that if they run a poll in Georgia, no matter how it's done, they're going to get a bump out of that for publicity. And so you have to be really careful. One important piece is the sample size. Is it large? Is it kind of over, what do you say, Greg, over about a thousand? Around you wanna, there. Yeah, you want a large sample size. You want a margin of error really at or below 3%. You want to be also careful with who's doing it. I think universities do an excellent job. And some Obviously, professional pollsters that do those for the universities are excellent. Also, understand if it's an internal poll or an or a public poll. An internal poll is taken by the campaigns all the time, very consistently. They only put out the ones that are positive for their for their candidate or their issue. So that's really important too. And Greg, you've been covering polls forever. Yeah, and you can look at five thirty eight. They judge. They kind of give ratings of polls about how credible they are. You're going to see a lot more polls coming out. You're going to see some partisan polls. We remember in the run-up to the May primaries, we had some pundits kind of promote polls that showed Governor Kemp barely ahead of David Perdue. And we didn't even, we, I didn't even tweet about those polls because I knew they were so uh, out there. Generally, you know, polls give you a snapshot of where things are. They're not necessarily predictors because things change in elections really quickly. But generally, you know, if you see a poll that shows either Raphael Warnock or Herschel Walker substantially ahead, it's going to be wrong because... Most of the polls out there are showing a picture of them within striking distance of each other. And most of the polls are showing Governor Kemp three, four, five points ahead of Stacey Abrams. You're going to see a lot of internal polls. And we we do report them sometimes because it gives an inside look at where campaigns are positioning themselves and the data they're using to tailor their messages. But we always say take them with a grain of salt because they would not be putting them out there if it didn't serve a political purpose. And sometimes those internal polls show the candidate, you know, neck and neck with the other candidate. And frankly, sometimes even the internal polls shows that candidate behind. And that's also done strategically to try to rev up supporters, to try to make the supporters think, you know, not get complacent. So there's all sorts of strategy going on with those internal polls. But be very careful and really know that polls are just like everything else. There is a science behind them, but they are just snapshots. Um, You can't rely on them too much. And certainly we learned in 2016 how fallible polling is, especially when the size of an electorate 
can just be, can blow up, can explode with a big election year. Patricia, now it is time for our Who's Up, Who's Down segment with a new intro from Shaney B. I think I like it before like the boom at the end. It sounds like someone's head just got caught up. This is like the final who's up, who's down of your life. Yes, exactly. This is your final judgment. Well, speaking of final judgments, Patricia, who is your... Let's start with a who's down so we can end on a high note. Okay, well, we just talked about it. My who's down are the debate hosts in Atlanta, Savannah, and Macon. You can't have a great Senate debate without two Senate candidates on the debate stage. And so far, we do not have that. And so for these uh, groups that have really gone to a great deal of effort to plan a debate, invite the participants, secure the stage, make a plan, get your statewide broadcast rights. Um, They only have one candidate right now, no matter who it is. And so that's a problem. They're they're who's down right now. So my who's down is similar. Mine are the voters because it's so confusing even to follow. As as Rich knows from his question, it's hard to even tell if there's going to be debate with the latest. um, And that's the intent of Herschel Walker's campaign right now. He's he's trying to say it's it's Raphael Warnock's fault why there's not a debate. Um, Really, this could have been settled a long, long time ago. I get it. There's a lot of politics involved. But it's really hard for viewers who really do want to see voters from both sides of the aisle want to see these two candidates on a debate stage. So it is very confusing for voters. So that is who I'll say is the who's down this week. Who's your who's up, Patricia? My who's up is unquestionably Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, because on that stage at our event, he just looked like the most relaxed, happiest man in politics. He is not on a ballot. He can say whatever he wants. He's still in office, so he's still getting booked on CNN and all the other places. He's got a book out. And he he's extremely tan because he obviously is spending more time at his kids' baseball games than, you know, inside any GOP county meeting. And so incredibly relaxed and also extremely candid. And I appreciate that. Also, something I know he doesn't mind, he was triggering Republicans all over the state (laughs) with his answers. And so I'm going to say he was living his best life the other night. And so he is who's up. Well, my who's up, I have to say, it's a little counterintuitive because it just said voters or who's down. But um, the prospect of debate is a little bit higher. So as much as it's confusing, and I'm confusing with this answer, but the who's up is <laughs> the prospect of a debate did inch a little higher up. I've been a pessimist all along. I've, I've said on this show, I don't think there'll be a debate. This is all, you know, a, a political back and forth. It's all designed to muddy the waters and still might be a little bit of that. But at least we're inching a little bit closer towards a prospective debate. And that really will be a big moment in Georgia politics. Yes. Congratulations, debate. You are up and down today. <laughs> you're everything. <laughs> you're everything to everyone right now. Voters, if you're not confused about a debate, you'll be even more confused about my who's up and who's down. Well, thanks for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday and every Friday or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. 
Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.